The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to BGN Radio with Brandon Lee Gowton and Jimmy Kemsky. Yo! Short version there. This is BGN Radio, episode number 107. With me, as always, is Brandon Lee Gowden of Bleeding Green Nation. I'm Jimmy Kemsky from phillyvoice.com. Got a few things to get to. Uh, I will warn you up front that there are some tree service folks in my neighborhood here across the street. So they were making noise earlier. Don't know if they're done making noise, but if you hear something later, that's probably what that is. So my apologies in advance. Brandon, how are you? Jimmy, I love your dedication to the podcast to the loyal listeners you know you're not going to let some people outside making noise stop you exactly bringing eagles information to your ears so if you if you appreciate jimmy and you appreciate me we would appreciate if you left a rating review itunes apple podcast all that good stuff gotta play through the pain as they say so we finally have some things to talk about after uh well i guess last uh episode we had nazar bradham released to talk about but now we have you know a little bit more meaty stuff with the NFL Combine having gotten underway, there haven't been really any, like, good, you know, rumors out of the Combine like there usually is by now. But uh, Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman, of course, spoke on Tuesday. Uh, just to note, we are recording this on Friday. But the biggest thing that came out of that was that they didn't shut down the possibility of Jason Peters returning in 2020. And we, and by we, I mean, as, like, uh, the group of reporters that were out there in Indianapolis kind of felt like that would be an announcement that they made, seeing as they've done that in the past. So, like, for example, last year they announced that Nick Foles was not going to be franchise tagged and they were going to let him test the open market. A few years before that, they announced that, you know, they were letting D'Amico Ryans go uh, so that he could, you know, pursue free agency earlier than than he would otherwise. So we kind of thought that, like, the Jason Peters' announcement was coming – and then it didn't, and not only did it not come, but Howie Roseman, or I'm sorry, not Howie, Doug Peterson emphatically said that he wanted him back in the same way that he has with Darren Sproles, and even mentioned Darren Sproles when he you know, sort of uh, alluded to that when he said emphatically that he wanted him back. Brandon, you had a post uh, that you did on this situation and noted uh, in depth, very well done, by the way, that it would be unprecedented for a uh, you know first round offensive tackle to sit behind a starter for the first two years of his career. 
Yeah, Jimmy, uh, I don't think it would be great for the Eagles <laughs> if Jason Peters is back. So I was talking to, uh, we we're talking in the BGN radio Slack channel, a little inside baseball here for you. And Kist, Michael Kist, the great Michael Kist um, from the Kist and Solak show, of course, was kind of saying, and he's not the only one. There's other been, people who have been saying too that like what Howie and what Doug said about Jason Peters is kind of about paying respect to an Eagles legend. I don't know. That's just not the vibe I got I don't think it's from that. what they were saying. Yeah, like it, it didn't seem it didn't seem that innocuous to me. It seemed like they were definitely leaving the door open for Jason Peters to return. And how could you possibly put it past this organization that has, first of all, kept Jason Peters around forever? And you see these articles, like the ones that Jeff McLean has done and a number of reporters have done in the past with the like insane amount of clout that Jason Peters has in the building where he's literally calling Jeffrey Lurie his best friend. Mm-hmm. And you have situations where players and coaches where I would say maybe Jason Peters greased the skids on their way out. Um, like he definitely has clout in that organization. That's undeniable. So, and then from the Eagles end, looking at like how they've been reluctant to move on from veterans. And, and he literally had Howie Roseman saying that earlier this yeah, offseason. So he did not, wasn't even asked about it. Like he let off with that. Yes. He said it was a week. He said, oh, maybe no, no, that's not true. Uh, but he did volunteer on his own that like, his biggest weakness, a weakness as a GM was, you know, keeping guys around longer than they probably should because they've been on the team for a long time and he gets attached to them. It's so it's great. Like you can't put it past him <laughs> knowing all that. Right. You can't just be like, this is definitely not that. And looking at even, you know, the signings they made last year with like Jay Ajayi and Jordan Matthews, just the overvaluing, you know, of those players and going along with what Howie was saying about loyalty or and, and weakness and all of that. The other thing that makes it, I feel like, worth like getting concerned about is the the magnitude of how big of an error that would be it'd be insane if you traded up to draft an offensive tackle in the first round three picks to get him basically took three picks you caught him a top 10 player you had to trade up you felt like because you didn't expect him to be there at all you give him a year to sit which again you kind of said earlier jimmy you pointed out that i had wrote about there's really no precedent for that at all like you look at the past 11 drafts going back to so like to 2009 there's no players really that are like sitting in their first year as a developmental year. No, no, no. You mean there, there's none that, that have done it for two years. There are a few that did it for one year, right? There's barely any. Yeah, that right. Have done it was, it for there one are a few year. and far between for one year, but for two years, that would be unprecedented. And then two years, it just hasn't happened yeah, at right. all. Yeah. Because yeah. it, it's insane. Because offensive tackle, think about it. Offensive tackle is like a position where I feel like. There isn't like this huge learning curve. Yeah, it's not quarterback. Like, yeah. Players are ready to make an instant impact. A lot. Look at Lane Johnson. Like he came out of the gate. And, <laughs> right. You know, he, and he was supposed to be raw. Like that was a guy who was literally like a high school quarterback. <laughs> that guy didn't have a ton of experience playing the position. Yeah. He was super athletic. But like, so it's crazy to me. And also just when you factor in the prospect age thing, and I don't think that's irrelevant at all. Like Andre Dillard turns 25 this year. That is on the older side for a rookie. Oh, sure. Yeah. For, for, for perspective, Jimmy. The offensive tackles, I looked it up. Like I was looking at, you know, a bunch of mock drafts and then all the top offensive tackles in this year's class. They're all like twenty right now. Yeah. They'll be twenty one this season. They're four years younger than Andre Dillard will be this season. So if he's <laughs> playing on the bench and he's not ready now, when is he gonna be yeah, ready? It's not good. And even if he does turn out to be great in year three, which is an insane thing to say, but if that was his first year, you can't just like dismiss two years of him not playing. Like that's that's a first round pick you could have used on a player who could have helped way earlier. Like there's opportunity costs there that you have to account for. So I think it's insane. I'm ranting about it. 
How do you feel? No, you're absolutely right with everything you're saying. In in my view, if you bring Peters back, it really only means one thing, and that's that you don't think Andre Dillard is ready. And sure enough, (laughs) I don't know if it was a day or two, I think it was two days later, uh, Howard Eskin said on the radio that the Eagles might not think that Andre Dillard is ready. And, uh, you know, like I sort of like, you know, looked internally at myself, like, did I kind of have Dillard wrong? Because my perception really was that he wasn't great initially. Of course, he was thrown to the, you know, into the fire against uh, the Vikings who have you know, two uh, very, very good edge rushers in Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter, but not only two good edge rushers, but two very different styles of, of rushing the passer. And he had to face off against both of those guys like intermittently throughout that game. And, you know, we all kind of realized that he wasn't good that game. But like my sense was that he got, you know, significantly better as the season went on in his opportunities with the exception of the one game where he sort of knew he wasn't going to be good playing right tackle against the Seahawks. And sure enough, he wasn't. They shouldn't have had him in there. But I went back and looked. <laughs> I like went back and watched them again. Like I watched the, uh, not the All-22 version, but the box version of uh, of uh, Coach's tape on on Game on uh, game Pass. And uh, the Vikings game was a lot worse than I remembered it. The Cowboys game was worse than I remembered it. The Bills game, he was better, but he still had some, you know, pretty shaky moments. There's one play in the uh, Vikings game where, like, he's at, like, he was getting, like, beaten badly on pass rushes where, you know, he was getting mainly uh, against bull rushes. He was getting eaten alive, uh, but also getting beaten around the edge on other occasions. But there's one play where he was out in front of a screen and Anthony Barr comes up and just levels him, just, like, knocks him on his ass and it was like, it just looked really bad. And the one thing that I kind of took away from this, you know, sort of a, a reviewing of his season, pretty passive player. <laughs> like, he's like, he doesn't really have like the same aggressiveness that, you know, most of the Eagles offensive linemen do. And, um, you know, I wonder if that's really what is concerning the Eagles more than anything is that, you know, he, he just didn't seem to kind of have that fight in him. Obviously, he's very athletic, but he's got some, he's got you know, a ways to go in terms of anchoring against bull rushes. And I think they'd like to be, I'd like to, for, they'd like for him to be a lot more uh, aggressive. Sorry for my phone ringing. I, so looking at the games and everything where he struggled last year, I think you can kind of rationalize some of it. Like the Vikings game, obviously he had to come in halfway during the game and that was his first real NFL uh, experience at left tackle. Um, so you kind of, you know, you kind of consider that. I don't think you can just write it off completely the struggles, but you, you know, you take that into consideration. You also look at the Dallas game. Okay. That's his first NFL start. It's on the road. I think Robert Quinn was kind of underrated last year. Like he, he had a pretty good year for himself. So it wasn't like he was getting beaten by bums. And then he kind of settled in, you know, when he, he got that first start out of the way, he got that first playing time out of the way. Like this is kind of the rosy spin on it, I guess. But yeah, then he, he struggles at right tackle uh, and like predictably so uh, by his own prediction. I don't think we should just dismiss that though either. I, I don't, and you know, here's what I'm like, getting to with that. He, he should have been better in that game, even knowing that he wasn't. I think he kind of like uh, almost kind of self-diagnosed that he wasn't going to be good in that game. And mm-hmm. partly as a result of that, he wasn't. Like he thought he wasn't going to be good, and sure enough, yeah. he wasn't good. And they benched him at halftime. So like it's that, that I think we're, we're maybe a little bit too forgiving that they should – and they, they shouldn't have played him at right tackle because he, you know, he certainly wasn't ready for it in that situation. But at the same time, you know, you, you would have liked to have seen him respond to uh, sort of, um, I wouldn't call it even a difficult situation really, but, you know, uh, a, a situation that he, that he maybe wasn't totally comfortable with. And they, weren't, they, didn't, they didn't even have Clowney in that game, by the way. 
Yeah, that's right. And I think you need to account it when you're like kind of looking at the scouting report, you know, like, is this guy versatile? Like, you know, it's it's one less thing he has to him. So even if he was a backup this year and it's only a left tackle. It's only, that's insane. So you <laughs> traded up for a backup, like an only backup left tackle. Like he's not even a true swing tackle. Like who are you putting at right tackle? Because I'm, you know, I'm thinking Big V's going to be gone in free agency. So it's like Jordan Mailata, your right tackle, while your first round pick from last year you traded up to get can't get on the field. Like that's insane. Yeah. So again, we'll see what happens. Maybe they don't bring JP back, and this is premature. But like. If it's not, <laughs> it's it's a huge deal because even looking beyond like the whole specific situation itself, like how are you feeling about Howie Roseman? You know, we had this conversation a couple podcasts ago, but how are you really feeling about him in this front office? If you know you're looking at last year's draft and your first round pick is two years on the bench and would only be playing because of injury. Your second round pick is a star. They did a great job in Miles Sanders. But like, if you want to, you know, be really critical about it, you could say, you know, like, that's the least valuable position in the NFL. Like, okay, you hit great, but you also hit like at one of the least valuable positions. So good job, but like, still, like, it's not like the most optimum thing. And then, you know, number three, JJ Arthur White's side is obviously a disaster in year one, and history is very much not on his side. Uh, Sharif Miller. Might never even play defensive, meaningful defensive snap. No snaps really. tw- as a rookie at all. None. Not even on special teams. He had two as special teams. Oh, d- he did. Yeah, but yeah. this is neither here nor there. Okay. He barely played. Yeah. So, and then Clayton Thorson, obviously an unmitigated disaster of a pick. Like that's an awful draft. <laughs> like potentially the one, the one player that that is that it, you know seems to have definitely panned out is also at the position that's easiest to find good players. That's what I was saying, Jimmy. Yeah. Were you not, did you tune me out when I was talking? Yes. Because that's what I just said. I okay, that's fair. Uh, yeah, so it's not great. And it it's just really makes you wonder, like, okay, they have this critical offseason ahead of them where they've never been able to, under Howie Roseman, really, since 2010, they've, they haven't hit at wide receiver in the draft. They haven't hit at cornerback in the draft other than maybe Jalen Mills, if you want to include him. The confidence level is not super great if Andre Dillard is not, like, ready to start this year. The one thing I'll note, too, is like during that press conference, uh, you know, how he knows what he's doing in, in uh, press conferences, because when he was asked, I mean, he was asked about JP first because he talked first. I think it was Bo just asked him sort of directly, is, is JP going to be back? And, um, you know, he was a little bit more lukewarm about it than uh, than Doug was. And for good reason, because he doesn't want Dillard follow-up questions, you know? So, like, he's going to, you know, he's kind of given us the bare minimum in terms of JP. But he didn't say that, you know, they were letting him go or anything like that. Um, the one thing I will add on on Dillard is, um, you know, early on uh, in his rookie season, during training camp, in fact, um, you know, there was an incident where, you know, he was crying, like, openly on the field after practice and, you know, had to be consoled by Doug and a few other people. And it was the result of, a, I guess, like an on-field incident with uh, Derek Barnett. Like Derek Barnett even went over and like, you know, kind of had to, you know, love him up, <laughs> give him some bro hugs and uh, make him feel better. And my understanding is that that wasn't the only time that there was some kind of incident like that with Dillard this past season. It's, mm-hmm. You know, we saw it because we get to see the we get to see practices in, in their entirety uh, during training camp. Uh, but once the... Um, once like the third preseason games begin and then all throughout the rest of the season, we're only in, we're only in practice for like the first five, you know, 10, 15 minutes and then they kick us out. So we don't get to see, you know, the hard parts of practice. And my understanding is again, I don't, I don't I, my understanding is that that wasn't that, you know, that, that kind of incident wasn't limited to just that one time in, in training camp. 
So it's a pattern of behavior more than just like a, a one-off. Because even Sio Kapadia kind of wrote about that in a piece for The Athletic on a profile about Dillard. I remember like he kind of had that same kind of uh, like emotional thing in high school or something. Like th- like this has been a track record for him. Yeah. It hasn't just like – it wasn't like one bad day where he was just having like a terrible day and he like blew up. Because, you know, I think that happens to people. Like thing stuff like that can happen. Uh, to your point, like it's not a one-off is what you're saying. Right. All right, well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and uh, talk about the rest of the, uh, you know, the Howie and Doug discussion at the Combine. Brandon? Back after this. Back here on BGN Radio, episode 107. Brandon Lee Gowton, myself, Jimmy Kemsky, here to talk to you about the other things that we took away from Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman's press conference outside of the Andre Dillard, Jason Peters conversation. Yes. So the first thing that we should probably cover is they pretty much all but confirmed that they're going to spend in free agency, which, Mm -hmm. you know, we can already kind of read the tea leaves on that, seeing as A, uh, they have cap space, B, they have major holes in the roster that, you know, they kind of didn't have uh, the last two off seasons. The holes are bigger and more obvious this off season than they were the last two off seasons is the way I'll put it. And then, of course, this off season, they really don't have anything to gain in terms of comp picks like last year they were in line to receive a third round pick for the loss of Nick Foles a couple fourth round picks for the losses of Hicks and and uh, Golden Tate so they you know wanted to protect those by not signing guys to offset those free agency losses which would then of course you know make them lose those picks they're not in line to get any kind of you know valuable comp picks this offseason you know even if they lose like a guy like Halapulavati Vitae and uh, I don't know who would be their one, the other one that would maybe get a decent contract. Nelson Aguilar, you know, they're Jason not Peters. they're not going to yeah Peters maybe, but no, 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 not that one anymore. <laughs> there, you know, those those aren't going to be picks, and Peters especially because he's you know over ten years in the league, probably not going to be over you know fifth round comp picks. So there's really nothing to really preserve. So they're going to go ahead and, and spend. They have to spend anyway because they have major holes to fill, as we've sort of said repeatedly on the podcast. At corner, at wide receiver, now at linebacker with Bradham going, and probably at safety, assuming that they lose, you know, one of either Ryan Cloud or Malcolm Jenkins. So, you know, they they, they are they. It seemed clear that they were going to be uh, active in free agency, but Howie Rosen all but confirmed that uh, on Tuesday. Yeah, and I thought that was a little bit interesting. Not surprising so much, but I thought it was interesting specifically how Howie talked about 2016 and 2017. Yes. Because you know, they made significant additions in those years. So, so like, Howie's setting the table for that. If they don't get, like, some kind of level of splash in free agency this year, you know, that seems like a failure, like, by his own admission. Because, you know, they got Brandon Brooks. They got Rodney McLeod. They signed Alshon Jeffrey, which was, like, a big deal at the time. Like, he was – remember, like, Alshon was, like, the top free agent wide receiver on the market or yeah. just perceived to be that way. So, like, is it so crazy that they would be in it this year? Maybe for, like, a Byron Jones who would be the top corner in the market? So, I, I don't I don't think it would be, like, just going off of that logic. So, uh, Howie definitely setting the table there, I feel like, for some activity in free agency. And, it's again, yeah, it's not surprising. But I also think – Another thing that was interesting that how we said, in addition, like kind of tied to the free agency thing and, and signing those guys like Brandon Brooks and Rodney McLeod and then Alshon too, is the idea of the window. You know, he, he said like they're not, they're not rebuilding, the dreaded rebuild word, yes. but they're retooling. They're looking at this as a three-year window of 2020, 2021, and then 2022, as opposed to where it kind of before it was like 2017 through 2020 and this post-Super Bowl era. So I think that's good messaging. 
I think how he's messaging has been pretty good overall, Jason Peters thing aside. <laughs> I think his, his, his team building kind of messaging has been good and encouraging. I think some people maybe kind of like the – I don't want to throw sports radio under the bus because I appreciate sports radio. But the sports radio takeaway from Howie's press conference, from my view, kind of was like, oh, the Eagles aren't trying to compete this year. Like, I don't think that's the case Really? How would they come up with that? Well, because it's like, well, you know, he, they're, they're retooling or whatever. Like they're kind of trying to temper expectations. I don't think that's the case. I think it's just that they're not going all in on this year. And they shouldn't be going all in on one season at this point. Yeah, that was that was not even close to what my read would have been from that. I will say Howie is savvy, by the way. Uh, you know, like you have like uh, the Phillies saying they're going to spend stupid money. And you have the Sixers saying they're going star hunting. He didn't give mm. us any like uh, sort of catchy phrase. Like what yeah. they're going to do this off season, but uh, yeah, but but I think he was pretty clear that they are going to spend. And then going to what Doug had to say, kind of takeaways from him. Nothing to no no huge res- revelations, but there was the talk of how Doug Peterson has full control over his coaching staff. He said, but that's just not true, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's just not. That's so obviously yeah. not true. I mean, we knew that even forgetting forgetting about like what happened, you know, what he said on on Tuesday, but even going back to that first, you know, that year end press conference where he said he was asked point blank, "Is Mike Rowe and Carson Walsh going to be back?" He said, mm-hmm. "Yes, they'll be back." <laughs> right? Next day, they're fired. So now, fast forward to you know this this uh, you know the NFL Combine. And uh, they're speaking at the podium. Doug says that he, quote, unquote, misspoke. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. He misspoke. He said they're definitively going to be back. And then the next day they're gone. So clearly, in my view, you know, that that was a decision, you know, either made by Jeffrey Lurie or somebody else. My guess would be Jeffrey Lurie that uh, Mike Rowe and and it's the right choice, by the way. And you know what? You know what's weird about it? Why are they putting energy into lying about it? Who cares? Mm. Does anyone care if Doug picks a staff or not? I think some people get miffed at the idea that Doug Peterson, Super Bowl winning head coach, doesn't have like a lot of power well, in the I building. He, I don't think he wants it though. And who? Ca- I and agree who cares? with you. Who cares if he doesn't want it? But, but that's atypical, it's not a, it's right? Not a, yeah, but it's not a bad thing. Like he doesn't care about free agency and like you know GM responsibilities and that kind of thing. Well, I, don't, I shouldn't say free agency, but he, he doesn't care about like. Sort of picking the groceries, so to speak. Yes, you know. Yeah, what I mean? and I think so. Like, I think I think that's a good thing. Actually, sometimes I agree with that. I just, you know, I'm just noting that, you know, I, like that's not usual though. Yeah, and and it's things can always change, right? Like, what if Doug's here long enough down the road where he's like, you know, I'm kind of tired of not having any say at all, uh-huh. and especially if there's there's going to be events like this, like where he actually maybe really wanted to keep Mike grow, and that's what. Jeff McLean reported. Jeff McLean reported that Doug actually explicitly told Mike Grow that he was going to be back and that it was Jeffrey Lurie who didn't necessarily force him to make the change, but he did say that Lurie wanted <laughs> Grow and Walsh gone like yeah. way before. Like his mind had been made up before. And he's Doug right, by he... the way. <laughs> like, yeah, well, clearly. I, you know, you like, you, they're, they're kind of, they're, you know, you don't want to have like a, a Jerry Jones as an owner who's like, who meddles a little too much. And you don't want to have. You certainly don't want to have like a like a like a Dan Snyder, for example, who's you know meddling like crazy and in the wrong way. But if you have an owner that isn't afraid to step in every once in a while on what, in my opinion, was is a pretty obvious decision not to bring both of those guys back, I think that's fine that, that that he stepped in and did that. If indeed that's what happened, 
I think the other kind of interesting thing, that like it's the one other interesting thing from what Doug had to say to me, it was like how high they are in Press Taylor, which isn't, again, a shocking development. But I guess it almost sounds like, you know, Press is going to have more of a big role in the offense this year. Mm-hmm. And he was obviously elevated to passing game coordinator. So that, again, that, that tracks. But I wonder, like, almost if, like Scangarello is going to be more hands-on with Wentz as the bad cop kind of guy, like you had mentioned before, Jimmy, like this bad cop, good cop dynamic with uh, Rich Scangarello, the Eagles' new senior offensive assistant, yeah, and Press Taylor, where I guess maybe Taylor is even kind of more like the true offensive coordinator, which I still don't know, though, because then Doug's talking about Scangarello bridging the gap between the run game and the pass game, so I still don't like have the best picture in my head of exactly how this is going to work out, but it seems to me like they... They liked Scangarello's track record with quarterbacks, um, which they should. There's, you know, some positive reason to do that between Drew Locke and Jimmy G and Nick Mullins. And I almost wonder if, like, that's it's so. It's almost like they hired a new quarterbacks coach without actually doing that. Like, it's it's a weird dynamic. Yeah, and I think it's good if he does play the bad cop. You know, we noted in previous Agreed. podcasts that uh, you know he sort of butted heads with Joe Flacco, and not necessarily because he was hard on him or anything like that. It was more that for a bad reason from from our perspective in that. You know, he was uh, maybe not as aggressive in his play calling as Joe Flacco and even the head coach in Denver would have preferred. But that probably stems from, you know, maybe them butting heads because, you know, he's, it gives him some tough love, I guess, sometimes. You know, maybe. I don't know. I'm like totally uh, – I'm not a Denver insider by any means. Kind of talking out my ass a little bit here. <laughs> but, like, I can imagine, you know, him uh, – you know, th- that relationship maybe not being, you know, super – you know, buddy, buddy friendly, which is maybe something that Wentz needs from like, like he had with uh, John DeFilippo when DeFilippo was the quarterback's coach. And then the good cop was Frank Reich. I think that dynamic, you know, worked obviously in the Eagles Super Bowl season when Wentz was going to be the MVP before he got hurt. And I think it's not a bad idea to bring that back if indeed that's what they did. Yeah. And I think Taylor might be a better like uh schemer than he could be an actual like with with working on Carson Wentz's mechanics. Well, they they that, revealed so. that he was the uh, he was basically in charge of the red zone, and then I think it was mm-hmm. was it Shiel who yes who pointed out that the Eagles scored. This is a high number. I didn't realize it was this high, but five point six points per trip into the red zone, which is really mm-hmm. good. <laughs> five point six is really good, and that apparently led the league. I'd be curious to to see like what the league average is on that. I mean, you might have had that in the post for I didn't read it, but I just saw the tweet where it said uh, five point <laughs> six, you know, points per trip into the red zone, and like who the next closest team was and that kind of stuff. But uh, that that that's that where is, the size that that and is impressive. The lack of speed doesn't matter as much, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, they basically played red zone offense up and down the field the entire way, so it kind of makes yeah. sense that they were good at it. Right. That's a that's a really good way to put it. What else we got here, Jimmy? Well, it's gonna be a sh- it's gonna be a short show, so let's just take one more quick little break. And then we'll be okay. back and we'll talk about the wide receiver workouts at the Combine. Back after this. Back here on BGN Radio for final segment here on BGN Radio episode 107 to talk about wide receivers at the NFL Combine. Jimmy, we're, again, we're recording on Friday, February 28th, after watching the wide receivers. Some impress, some not impress. I guess we should start off with your number one wide receiver target for the Eagles who you're pounded the table for. You're saying they can't pick anyone else except this guy <laughs> until recently. T. Higgins. How do you feel? <laughs> How do you feel? I'm out about him yeah, now. I'm out. Yeah, totally out. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be and clear, why? to be clear, I liked many receivers more than T. Higgins. I just liked T. I just did like T. Higgins. Like I wasn't out on him. Like I know, like a lot you of liked the, him a little bit more than I did. A, a lot of a lot. I liked him a lot more than most people did because you know they saw like the fifty fifty ball guy and they just kind of and uh, you know they just kind of equated that to you know Alshon Jeffrey and J.J. Ortega Whiteside and but I think he, I think he's more than that. However. He made the decision to not work out the combine. Didn't run the forty. Didn't do any of the workouts, which is weak. It's weak. Get out there and I mean, I can understand like if you're Joe Burrow or if you're Chase Young, and you just have like nothing to gain by running the forty or doing on-field workouts. Like you're gonna go, and Burrow's gonna get be the first pick. Chase Young's gonna be the second pick. So they have nothing to gain. Like they only they only have things to lose by competing. But when you're T. Higgins and you have all these great receiver prospects around you, and you're just going to be like, nah, I'm going to pass on the combine. Like, because, and the reason why was because uh, he played in the national championship game, of course, and he felt like he didn't have as much time to prepare for the combine as some of the other receiver prospects, which he felt put him at at a disadvantage and was just going to wait until the pro day. Well, you know what? Justin Jefferson played the national championship game too. And he was maybe the biggest beneficiary from the wide receiver group after running a 4.43 in addition to already being a very good player. So I am out on T Higgins. Higgins also talked a big game this week. He was like, yeah, I'm going to be in four, <laughs> four. Right. And doesn't even run. Like what the hell is that? Yeah. Sweet. I think he knew he's not going to run a good time. Yeah. I mean, that has to be it. Like it's obvious. Um, so yeah, definitely not in love with that, but there are, there were a lot of receivers who did stand out in a good way. Obviously, Henry Ruggs running. Imagine running a four-two-seven and being mad about it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, as Doug Peterson looked on, that was that was funny. NFL Network yes. you know, showing like him like really watching. Good at, job by them, by the way. Yeah, that is uh, something Eagles fans would just eat up. Also, in addition to Ruggs, you mentioned Jefferson already. So, Jimmy, I'm I'm in my mind, I'm thinking Jefferson really could be the guy at number twenty-one. Yeah. I know mm-hmm. it's early. But, like, you know, I'm looking at Henry Ruggs, probably going to be off the board. Jerry Judy, probably, you know, going to be off the board, I would imagine. Unless, I feel like, though, of the three, like, Lamb, Ruggs, and Judy, I feel like the way, like, some things are going, and maybe I'm completely wrong about this. I feel like Judy could be, like, the Macklin of those. Remember how everyone, like, thought Jeremy Macklin was going to go so much higher than he was, right. and he kind of, like, inexplicably slipped? I feel like he could kind of be that guy. People of those overwhelmingly three. had him go into the Raiders that year. And then the Raiders mm-hmm. wound up took it, taking, uh, Oh, the super fast guy. What's that? Darius Hayward Yes, Bay. correct. Very good. good. Good recall. And then Macklin slipped to uh, – I remember when they when they, the Eagles traded up for him. I think it was – I don't remember who they traded up with. But the Lions were picking Browns. 20 and the Eagles were picking 21. Oh, you're right, Browns. And they didn't, it didn't cost much for them to move up. I think they only gave up a six-round pick and that's it to yeah. move up two spots. And uh, they were like – Mayock was like – this is going to be Brandon Pettigrew because they wanted to move ahead of the Lions to get Pettigrew. And then yeah. they're like, uh, Jeremy Macklin. And, and Mayock goes, wait, he's still available? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, Eagles guys are fired up about that pick. And rightfully so. Like, the, the, he did fall further than people anticipated. And it's interesting that uh, you think that Jerry Judy uh, could be that guy. And I don't totally disagree with that. But um, yeah, it's certainly possible. I think they're all gone, you know, well before yeah. then. But Right. Certainly possible. I, I, I definitely don't think Lamb is going to be that guy. And then, you know, I'm, I'm just guessing that Ruggs is is uh, is definitely going to be gone, too, just with the speed and everything. Uh, I mean, you saw John Ross a couple years sure. ago. What did he like, go, 10? <laughs> yeah, or, or like 9 or something. Yeah. It was top 10. 
Uh, yeah, so it's a big deal uh, to be running that fast. But yeah, so Jefferson and I think Jalen Rager too. Now Rager didn't like test when, in terms of the 40 as well as people thought he would. What He finished at like 4-5. But his play speed is like just so much faster than that. Just watching him again recently. Like he's just he's, – he is a burner. Like he's 100% a burner. And then he tested great otherwise in terms of like his uh, his vertical jump and everything. So I don't know. I just I get the sense that like Rager or Jefferson, like that one of those guys, like could be the guy at twenty one. So I remember. Uh, so when I previewed Rager during the season in that grocery shopping series, uh, here's what Bruce Feldman, uh, who now is with the Athletic, he puts out a, a yearly freaks list, which is all awesome. freakiest freak. It's a great read every year and here's what he's what he wrote about rager arguably the most underrated player in the big 12 rager put up gaudy numbers in 2018 despite the shaky horned frogs quarterback situation which by the way didn't get any better this past year uh only the only the two kansas schools had a lower qb rating in the big 12 still rager hauled in 72 passes for 1061 yards and nine touchdowns he led the conference in percentage of his team's receptions at uh 31.30.1 and he wrote that the 511 195-pound junior clocked a blazing 4.2940. Obviously, he didn't mm. replicate that at the combine uh, on Thursday night. Uh, but his power numbers are also impressive. He does a 620-pound squat, a 380-pound bench press, and a 380-pound clean. All extremely impressive. I, I was actually surprised that uh, his bench numbers weren't that great. They were fine like uh, at the combine. I think it was like... 15 or 16 or something like that. Let me add this. But I guess the point that I'm uh, going a long way to make here is that he's not just a speed guy. He's like, he's got some bulk to him and he's really Mm -hmm. strong. And Jim Schwartz sort of talked about that, not in terms of uh, receivers, but in terms of cornerbacks that put up, you know, high bench numbers and and that kind of thing. Like those guys tend to be, they, they, they tend to be more durable than uh, guys who aren't like that. Because the question was framed in terms of like Sidney Jones and needing to you know sort of bulk up and, and become a more durable player. And he said that in, in his experience, the guys that like are in the weight room all the time and, and they have that 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 kind of bulk uh, usually tend to, to stay healthier. So uh, I have it here. So Rager put up 17 bench press reps, which is good. But I guess like the top guys were, you know, just a little bit over 20. So does Rager or Jefferson interest you at 21? Because I feel like there's a lot of Eagles fans out there kind of, they get, or not just Eagles fans, but, you know, fans get in general, get into this mindset of like, oh, well, I saw Rager or Jefferson in the second round. So like, can't do that at 21. <laughs> get, but they're not going to be there when the Eagles pick at like, what, 53 or whatever, 57, whatever it is. Like, they're probably not going to be there then. So, like, you kind of almost – they're probably going to go – they might not even be there when the Eagles pick. I mean, Jefferson is, like, number 16 on Der- Daniel Jeremiah's big board overall. And he just had a great con- – <laughs> set a great combine in addition to being, you know, a national championship and, like, a, a very uh, proven uh, player. Big-time role on that team. So, I guess this question is kind of twofold. How do you feel about those guys versus trading up for, say, a Henry Ruggs? So, here's the problem with trading up. And I'll get to Jefferson and Rager first in, in a second. What complicates trading up – Especially if you're trying to get, you know, up high enough, like if you're going to like, you know, 10 to 12 area, is that there are four quarterbacks that are probably going to be taken in the top 20. So as long as, I mean, Tua and, um, I mean, Burrow and, and Tua are probably going to go pretty quickly. But then you have Herbert and you have Jordan Love. So as long as, you know, a couple of those guys sort of stick around, it's going to be a premium to trade up. Because you look at like the, the 2017 season 
when Mahomes went 10 and uh, Deshaun uh, Watson went 12. It cost the Chiefs, you know, their uh, 2018 first round pick. I think they moved up pretty far. I think I want to say like they moved up from like 27 or something like that. So they moved from 27 to 10, but it cost them their, their first round pick in 2018. And then when the Texans traded up, it also cost them their first round pick in 2018 to, to get uh, to get Watson. So as long as those two guys stick around, whoever's trading back, <laughs> they're going to be looking for a premium because they know that, you know, teams are going to be looking to move up for, the, for one of those quarterbacks. So it becomes complicated in terms of being able to get up that high. Once those quarterbacks come off the board, then maybe the cost to trade up isn't as high. Although what has happened in the past with drafts is teams will look at like what the cost was earlier in the round to move up. And then they sort of use that as the benchmark going forward. So it might be difficult to trade up in this draft. As far as Jefferson and Rager go, I like Jefferson a lot. And the guy that Jeremiah kept um, comparing him to is um, uh, Keenan Allen of the Chargers. And I hadn't thought mm-hmm. of that, but I thought that was a pretty good comp for him. He's got out, you know, inside-outside versatility. I think early in his career, he plays the slot. And if he never does anything other than play the slot, I don't think that's the worst thing. If you have a really dominant slot receiver you know, that could rack up catches, move chains, but also has the ability to work the intermediate and deeper parts of the field like you did at LSU and I think he can do in the NFL. And that's certainly a really valuable player that you can have in your offense. And uh, yeah, I have no problem with, with them uh, taking him as... You'd probably prefer to see them get a speed guy in free agency if you're going to take... Because he's not like the take the top off the off the defense kind of speed, but... He does have a, you know enough speed to where he's going to make plays for you in the offense, but he's still I still think they do need to take the take they still think they need to take the top off the defense guy, which is maybe more what Rager is, even though he didn't run as fast a forty on uh, Thursday night. But uh, Jefferson for sure would be of heavy interest if they did find a deep threat in free agency, like a Robbie Anderson, for example. Yeah, they've got to find a burner at some point. Like that's non negotiable, non negotiable. Uh, I don't think you can trade up if it costs you a future first. I don't think. That's of course, yeah, you were right, and and, and to make the to deal further with that, of course they're not going to do that. Yeah, you, know, mm. you can't trade a future one to, to move up and, and take a wide receiver. Of course, if you're going to do that for a quarterback that you think has a chance to be really good, like Mahomes and yeah. Watson turned out to be, then of course, yeah, then you'll do that, but not for a receiver. No way. Yeah, and I and I think the impact is huge. Like I'm not trying to discount that either. Like look at just look at the offense last year with Deshaun Jackson and then and then without him the yes. entire year. And then even again, I go back to like just adding Shelton Gibson for the Seahawks <laughs> right, game. Right. The two snaps he played. <laughs> he the biggest pass of the like game. A, he opened up uh yeah, he, he opened up uh he did because he, he had that defensive pass interference yes. that he drew. And then there was another play on like a third down where he opened up something for I think it was like Greg Ward like wide open over the middle. Okay. He, t- he cleared like two guys out. Yeah. So like just, you know, it, it's so huge. Like having a guy who can actually, especially with Carson too, and looking up at that stat that came up last week from um, uh, Brickwall Blitz was like Carson went through the most accurate deep passes that weren't caught yes. last year. Yeah. Like freaking get, you have to get him a burner. Like I, I will say that every episode until it happens. Like, cause they have to do it. They can't, they can't not do it. Like it's a, it's a requirement. So, and until then, like, well, one, I'll phrase it like once they get that guy who can do that in addition to Deshaun, then getting Jefferson is like, oh, that's awesome. Like, yeah, now because now you're adding this guy, although it's kind of weird, I guess, that like you're getting this awesome slot player, but then also you're potentially like playing a lot of 12 personnel or I guess you're not playing as much 12 personnel in that case. I don't I don't know about 
all of that. Do you have any final thoughts on the prospects, Jimmy, before we get into something that ESPN had to bring up? Oh, yeah. Are you out on uh, LaVisca Chenault? I don't. I'm not like all in on him. I'm, I'm definitely not. I mean, as a 21. As, but, uh, are, are you or no? Yeah, I'm probably out on him. It's like I like him a lot as a player, but yeah, the four five eight wasn't. I thought he was going to actually have a good combine. That's uh, you know, that's discouraging. And then also, uh, obviously, the injury history. And he didn't run his second forty, so he only did the one forty, and that was it. So I don't know if he mm-hmm. tweaked something or what. Just kind of speculating there, but you know, that's another red flag as far as like his long injury history. And then Brandon Ayuk, yeah. Ran a four five, which isn't the worst. I mean, it's not like it's not the worst thing. And he'll run again as pro day, I'm sure. Uh, he expected to run a lot faster than that, but didn't. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> That's your official I'd, analysis. I'd, I'd, from feel, Ayuk. I'd feel a lot better than, with a Justin Jefferson than a Brandon Ayuk. Okay. Uh, we'll we'll have plenty more time to talk about yes. these guys. Yes, I'm yes, sure yes. coming coming up. Um, Jimmy, on the rundown sheet, we here we have mentioned ESPN's daring move that they suggested for the Eagles. Now, in the context here, they suggested well, it's actually Football Outsiders, a piece for ESPN uh, that they wrote again for all 32 NFL teams, a daring move for each team. And the Jimmy, the Football Outsiders' daring move for the Eagles this season is to acquire Taysom Hill and manage. Carson or load manage Carson Wentz by not playing him. It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, come Pretty on, bad. come on! How many passes has he thrown in his career? By the way, seven. Was oh, that it? It's only seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a stat where uh, Muhammad Sanu has thrown more pass attempts than him. You would also—he's a restricted free agent. He's not even unrestricted. You would have to give up a first or a second. Oh, is he? I didn't because, realize that because he's like, yeah, I know he's old. He's thirty. He was going to turn thirty this August. Yeah, and the Saints are going to tender him, I would think, at least at a first or second round level, at least a second round level, and possibly a first. So, yeah, that whole thing is just, it's silly. Like, like really? Like, you can't give me something, like, more realistic to, to, <laughs> or for us to, like, like, they have the Packers trading for OBJ, for example. It's like, why, you could you could have the Eagles do that? Right. Like, that's at least, like, with, I, I don't even necessarily want them to do that, but, like, that's, like, worth talking about, <laughs> something like that, so... I don't know. At some so, point, you got our, you, you got, I, and I guess it was, it was the aim of it was supposed to be like some fun piece, but yeah, there's a difference between fun and a complete waste of time, right? And like, and a, and a dumb idea at that. <laughs> I don't even dislike Taysom Hill. I feel like as much as some people do, I kind of think he's fun, and I think Sean Payton can get carried away with using him. But he, but he's not doing that for load management purposes. He's doing that to just sort of mix up the offense a little bit. Yeah, it's a tendency breaker. Yeah. They can do like different formations. Uh, Solak has done a good job of talking about that before during like Saints. Oh, yeah. yeah. Romo so. talks about that during games all the time. Okay. So Solak is just ripping off Tony Romo. <laughs> Got it. I did not I did not say that for sure. No, that's what Jimmy said. Um, <laughs> Cowboys franchise tag situation, Jimmy. Wanted to bring that up too because the, the franchise tag window officially opened mm-hmm. on Thursday, February 27th. It'll be open from two weeks from then. Until March 12th. Uh, obviously, the CBA negotiations are still kind of, or I don't know if you would even call them negotiations at this point, but the CBA process is still going on. Uh, I think the players are still voting and whatnot. I think the Cowboys situation is of interest to the Eagles in a couple different ways. And that's because, first of all, the Cowboys currently have two tags they can use on their free agents, the, the franchise tag and the transition tag likely use the franchise tag on Dak Prescott if they can't get a deal done with him, and then the transition tag on Amari Cooper. But if slash when the new CBA is ratified, uh, Tom Pelissero from NFL Network kind of reported that the NFLPA expects Pelissero. the... Yeah. 
That's it, right? No, it's Pelissero. Pelissero? Okay. I'm so sorry, Tom. Loyal listener of the podcast. <laughs> sorry. sorry. Sorry to interrupt your train of thought. Continue. <laughs> the teams would have to vacate. The teams would be expected to vacate one of those tags if they applied them before, you know, then the CBA, the new CBA right. comes. Um, so I'm guessing teams won't even apply to because then they would have to get rid of it anyway. Yeah. But but we'll see how that goes. But, I, you know, that's interesting to me because I think the Cowboys are going to have to pay a lot more money than they want to, clearly, for Dak Prescott. They're going to have to pay more than Carson Wentz got. And I think that is a bad thing. I don't even know if they get a long-term deal done with Dak, honestly. Um, you know, it's taken, there's been such a delay to this point. And if I'm Dak, I do what Kirk Cousins did and play on the tag and do it again next year if I have right. to. Because then you, you have all the leverage in that situation. And, like, he has every reason to bet on himself because, you know, he's been uh, super healthy. It's not like he has this injury record. Like, bet on yourself. You could be making a crazy amount of money after playing two years on the tag. Like, look at Kirk Cousins again. He got the first fully guaranteed deal in NFL history. Right. Like, for the amount of money he got. And Prescott is like, better than him. Exactly. That, too. So, like, like Dak, if he plays this right, and it seems like he kind of is willing to do that, considering how long he's held out, like, that's a huge deal. And it's it's a, it's a huge deal for the Eagles because, like, the Cowboys all of a sudden are paying this quarterback who you know, I don't think is as good as Carson Wentz, a lot more money than Carson Wentz, and it also limits what they can kind of put around Dak. And in that vein, like it helps to ensure that Byron Jones is going to hit free agency. The other thing, too, on the transition tag, um, if they do transition, if they use the franchise tag on Dak and then they use the transition tag either on Amari Cooper or Byron Jones, it doesn't really do them any good because those guys are going to hit the open. Like You can still offer those guys contracts anyway. And the contracts that they get offered are going to be better than, you know, the one-year transition tag. And if all the all the transition tag does is it allows the Cowboys the chance to have right of first refusal. And in other words, they can match uh, the contract that's offered to those guys, which I would assume Byron Jones and Amari Cooper are going to allow them to match anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're going to have the opportunity to match that anyway, I would think. So, transition tag just sort of, you know, delays the loss of those guys if uh, if indeed they use it. Uh, any final thoughts to me before we wrap up here? I got none. I have one. And that's uh, you're getting a lot of guff from a certain Eagles podcast host who I will not name since he did not <laughs> name BGN Radio and multiple podcast appearances from Benjamin Solak and yourself. Really upset about the whole question face off thing and his <laughs> his poor ranking. Yeah. In that uh, in that you're really under his skin with that. Thing. He brings it up all the time. <laughs> Yeah, he did not like I, being ranked twelfth. <laughs> I think you should put him last next year, just as a default power move. I think. Put him. <laughs> I think it was two things. I think it was, he didn't like being twelfth, which still put him above the average. And what I rank you like twenty something, uh, something like that. Yeah, you I'm a more of an efficiency guy though. Yeah, I'm not like going for the volume. You didn't take offense to that, but Boa Boa had a tw- at, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I was not supposed to say Bo's name, <laughs> but Boa had a twelfth. But I think not only that, but I had, uh, you know, Shield at two. No, Shield at three. And uh, Zach at, you know, his his two other birds with friends, two of the other triumvirate. I had Zach at five. So I, <laughs> I had him significantly higher than Bo. So he didn't like that. And I'll tell you what, Bo came out motivated in the Howie and Doug pressers. Like, Bo asked, like, 
So we had not only the two podium sessions with Howie and Doug, but then after that's over, then we get them off to the side as well. That's not televised or streamed to the Eagles website or whatever. And I'd say between those, uh, those four sessions, Bo fired off, I'd say probably between like eight to 12 questions. Hmm. <laughs> and Zach was way more forceful than he normally is too. And sort of <laughs> shouting his, his questions. Cause I said that he was too polite. So he was significantly less polite during those sessions. And the other thing too is uh, everyone was very happy when I lost a question face off to mm. Les Bowen. Everyone you know immediately like looked at me and was like laughing at me because I lost that. But the weird thing about that though is like I didn't hype myself up as like a good question face off guy. In fact, I was asked like you know where would I have ranked myself, and I said I'd put myself somewhere a little bit below average, like somewhere in mm. like the twelve to eighteen range. So like I never made the uh I never made the proclamation that I'm good at them. So like by losing one, you know, that doesn't bother me because I'm already not that good at them anyway. So take that. I, Bo. Yeah, take that. It's almost I like I feel like sorry, it's almost like um the year I won the uh the uh field goal kicking competition mm-hmm. and I ran my mouth for the entirety of that year and then the next year, which was the last year that we had it, everyone was cheering when I missed. <laughs> <laughs> so now people are going to be celebrating my failures in uh in these question face-offs all year i, I think embrace the target jimmy yes. just like doug said last <laughs> exactly. year that worked out well uh i think that's about all i got for this week's edition of bgn radio episode number 107 we will be back sometime next week to talk more stuff with you of course we'll have more combine coverage with you michael kiss did a solo podcast about the wide receiver drills and whatnot, so you can listen to that for even more in-depth NFL draft slash combine talk here on the BGN Radio feed. So make sure you subscribe, make sure you download, rate, review, all that good stuff. You can follow BGN Radio on Twitter at BGN underscore radio. You can follow myself on Twitter, Brandon Lee Gowton, at Brandon Gowton. You can follow Jimmy Kemsky on Twitter, at Jimmy Kemsky. We will talk to you guys next time. BGN.